0: You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit miknopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. And one of the idiosyncratic things about Rabbi Knopf Uh, that you will likely hear very few other rabbis say, or at least admit publicly, is that I'm a big fan of Jesus. His early stuff, mainly, uh, before, before he sold out and got co-opted, you know, before Paul, before John, you know, before all of, uh, before all of them, his early stuff. Like in Matthew, where Jesus says, judge not, lest ye be judged. It turns out that when Jesus said that statement, he was actually being a good disciple of the rabbis, as many scholars imagine Jesus was, namely, Rabbi Hillel, who says in the Mishnah, Al tadin at ad do not judge your fellow until you arrive in his or her place. And of course, it's deeply rooted in the Jewish tradition that there is but one judge. When somebody, God forbid, passes away, we say, Baruch Dayan Ha'emet. Praised are you the true judge. There's but one judge. None of us, except we're in very limited capacities in the legal system, qualified to pass judgments on other people. And yet it's striking that it's precisely in religious contexts that people feel most at liberty to judge others and to be judgmental of others, and where people feel most judged. So it's true in non-Jewish religions as well. It's one of, one of some of the greatest offenders, I think, uh, although uh, um, we shouldn't be so proud of ourselves, um, are those people who, uh, who ended up following the message of that rabbi that I mentioned before, but Jews are guilty just the same, of passing judgment on others, of looking askance if somebody else in the pews doesn't know the tune that we just used, or hasn't quite been following along on the right page, or doesn't quite know the Hebrew, or maybe doesn't keep kosher in the same way they do, or maybe they drive on Shabbat, but really we know you're not supposed to drive on Shabbat, and so we'll kind of look at them with an askance eye because they aren't practicing, they aren't doing the way we Jew, they aren't doing what we think we are supposed to be doing, and whether it's because it makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves, or whether it's because we have particularly high standards and see ourselves as defenders of the faith, whatever the reason, many people report that they feel judged unfairly and uncomfortably when they come to religious settings, when they come to religious institutions. And for that reason, many people stop coming altogether. One of the great reasons behind the decline of organized religion in the 20th and 21st centuries, I think, is that feeling of when I walk into synagogue or when I walk into church, how am I going to feel when I walk in there? Am I, going to be, am I going to be made to feel less than, in some way? Am I going to be made to feel not up to the standards of everybody else in the community? Am I going to be made to feel belittled and judged if I'm there? And as a result, lots of people check out of religious institutions. Our Torah portion this Shabbat offers, I think, a really great way of thinking about this problem, maybe in a way many of us haven't thought about it before. So this Parsha is called Parshat Masseh. Um, which begins, is called that because it deals with the wanderings of the Jews in the wilderness. Are the means the travel. So it lists out all the places that the Israelites traveled in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And it's the last portion in the book of Numbers. And one of the last sets of laws in this last portion of the book of Numbers deals with what's going to happen to the Israelites once they get to the promised land. And one of the things that they're supposed to do is set up six are Miklat. Six cities of refuge. The cities of refuge exist. It's an amazing system. Really idiosyncratic system. Where if you accidentally kill somebody, you flee to one of the cities of refuge so that the Goel Hadam, the blood avenger of the family of the person that you accidentally offed, doesn't have a chance to kill you in revenge. So you go to one of these Aremiklat, miklat and you stay there. You stand trial for the uh, for, for the for the death. If it's found that it was accidental murder, you stay in the ir miklat. If it was found that it was not accidental murder, of course, uh, according to the Bible, you get the death penalty. But if it's found that it's accidental murder, you stay in the ir miklat, the city of refuge, and you stay there until the death of the high priest. The ir miklat is a really fascinating phenomenon for. This reason, and I think it's articulated particularly well by Rabbi Lawrence Kushner. He says this, What must it have been like to live in a city of refuge, this place of neither acquittal nor punishment? And what must it have been like, what must it have done to even casual intercourse? Imagine Every single person you'd meet, every single day, had accidentally murdered another human being. From the mayor to the panhandler. My fellow citizens, I urge your support for this new bond initiative. Mister, can you spare a quarter for a cup of coffee? They were all united by shame. They all had innocent blood on their hands. And there was no escape either. Sure, everyone talked about a vacation someday, but no one ever seemed to get around to leaving. Perhaps it was no different from life in any city, anywhere, anytime. What Raleigh Kushner points out about the Arami Miklat, about living in a city where everybody is guilty of an offense, everybody has this horrible secret that they're keeping with them, is that it is in a lot of ways no different from life anywhere, any place, any time. We all of us have our flaws. We all of us have our failings. We all have things that we hope to achieve and may not yet be there. We all have ways of growing that we haven't yet reached. And yet, sometimes when we come to a place like a synagogue or a church or a mosque, wherever it may be, what we do is we project our own insecurities, our own failings, onto other people. And we make them feel less than. But what if our synagogue was a true ir-miklat, a true city of refuge? in which we acknowledge and affirm that we are all of us on a journey together. We all of us have ways that we can continue to grow. We all have things that we need to learn. We all have places on the Jewish spectrum and on the Jewish journey that we aren't at yet and may never be at and may ideologically oppose being at, but that's where we are. And what if we came to this space and accepted everybody who walked in exactly as they are. What would it look like to have such an ir-miklat, a city of refuge, a sanctuary? By the way, miklat is the word that uh, Israelis use for bomb shelters. Um, which many of our brothers and sisters there find themselves in, uh, have found themselves in over the past couple of weeks. Um, and so we pray for their security and their safety, and we'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow. But the notion is the same, that a that an Irmiklat is supposed to be a city, of refuge, a sanctuary, a safe space. And so what if we committed ourselves to make this synagogue, this sanctuary, a true safe place? to affirm in our hearts that we will never judge another person who comes through these doors, that what's primary is that they come. And once they are here, no questions asked. I had I had a conversation with a wonderful, wonderful woman earlier this week Sweetest, old, uh, uh, elderly woman who said the, who said thank you, who said the following thing to me. She said, um Rabbi, I'm so excited that, that you're here. I just have one request of you. Can you restore some dignity to our service? People show up in shorts, they show up in t-shirts, they show up in all manner of things. And we want some, some some gravity, some gravitas in our services. And I said to her, you know, I hear what you're saying. I also have a, a sense of what people should come dressed like when they're in synagogue and what, what the space should feel like. But what's worse, that they come dressed in shorts or that they don't come? And of course, her answer was, well, certainly we want them there. I said, ah. So we need to rethink what our prerequisites are. One of the great business success stories of the last decade is Planet Fitness. Planet Fitness, I don't know if any of you belong to Planet Fitness or if they even have it in Richmond, but their slogan is judgment-free zone. And largely, I think, due to that attitude, that approach, and that atmosphere that they cultivate... Planet Fitness has, in the last five or six years, grown over 200 percent because they hit on a core reality. Why spend my hard-earned time and my hard-earned money coming to a place where I'm going to be made to feel less than? And what if we made our congregation a true miklat, a true city of refuge, a true place where we accept everybody as they are, as long as they are here. And we make this truly a judgment-free zone.